Good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online. This is one of those weekends, you know, where they switch the time. And so this was your excuse to miss church this week. So I'm proud of all of you for being here. It's great. Um, also being the second weekend in March, so we're kind of halfway through this season of Lent. Hopefully everybody's slowing down a little bit, moving at God's speed, that three miles per hour. Um, hopefully as we're doing that, we're going to realize a few things, realizing that God He's very near to us and that he deeply cares for us. That's a really important part of what we're learning in this series. Um, But also, we're realizing that there's already holy ground beneath our feet. And then finally realizing that this pilgrimage is something that we don't do alone. That as we sojourn through life, God gives us brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what these caravans are about. So it's also just terrific that we're right here in the middle of this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, where he's actually teaching us about the church, and in particular, how the church is God's master plan to unite all things in Christ. So this is part of a cosmic mission that we were called to here as a church. And that's why we don't take church lightly. That's why we don't breeze in and breeze out. Uh, It's not something we just add on to our calendars. It's actually who we are. It's how we live out our everyday, ordinary lives as the church. So over the past two months now, we've been learning about the extent to which the church is to be united, and in particular, how unity in the church is a direct result of the work of the Trinity. And then last week, Paul kind of gave us another angle, this thing for us to consider, and that's how there's unity within all of our diversity, how grace was given to each and every one of us, every member of the church, as Christ apportioned it. Each person distinctly endowed with specific gifts and talents by Jesus, a unique puzzle piece of sorts, so that when we serve him together, employing our gifts, kind of like the early church did, as we kind of do it through these pillars, we have everything we need as a church to do what God calls us to do, That's what unity and diversity is all about. And that's why we also don't take these pillars lightly. We're trying to encourage everyone to jump into these things because they're absolutely vital for God's cosmic plan as each of us reach out to play our specific role. And then today, Paul is going to talk to us a little about a few offices. They're very specific gifts from Jesus to the church. Paul writes, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now before we jump into what all these offices mean, it's important that we step back to something we learned a few weeks ago when Paul taught us about the visible and the invisible church. It's so important that we keep that in mind. Four Mile is a visible church, not the building, but the people who gather in the building and then go out in their everyday, ordinary lives. It's you, it's me, it's pastors, elders, deacons, all the covenant partners that belong to Four Mile Church, each of us playing a visible role in the church. But there is a second church, an invisible one, and it is Christ's body. It is the true church, where Jesus is the head and the Holy Spirit unites across generations, races, denominations, and genders. A church that spans nationalities, 
cultures, gifts, and talents. It's comprised of all those whom the Holy Spirit has indwelt from the moment that they placed their faith in Jesus. From Pentecost to today, and the invisible church will continue to grow until all of God's adopted children are in it. And while the invisible church spans centuries, each member operates through the visible church in a given place and at a given point in our history. And in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers as gifts to the church. So let's begin by taking a look at these individual offices because they can tend to cause some confusion for us, particularly as to whether it pertains to how they are still active in the church today or not. Now, most commentaries and theologians break them into two categories, temporary and permanent offices. The first office that Paul lists is that of an apostle. It is generally considered to be a temporary office. Now, that's because of the definition of it. An apostle is defined as someone who saw the risen Jesus with his own eyes and was commissioned directly by Jesus himself in person. Now, these personal encounters with Jesus gave the apostles a unique conviction in their ministry. Apostles were also people who received supernatural revelation of truth. Peter had dreams. John saw visions. Paul received insight into the truth of Jesus, into the person, words, and works of Christ. Apostles spoke infallibly so that their words could serve as the truth to help establish the church. So apostles essentially carried out the work that Jesus began when he descended to earth. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The work that ultimately led to the cross, where Jesus sealed the new covenant in his blood. That's what we celebrate at Easter. And then after ascending to heaven, Jesus then sent the Holy Spirit to indwell believers and to build the church. And that's what we celebrate at Pentecost. And that's a little review of what we talked about last week. Additionally, apostles were often empowered by the Holy Spirit to work miracles, just as Jesus had. Healing disease, casting out demons, even bringing people who had died back to life. Given that Jesus ascended into heaven and in only rare cases revealed himself in person, as with Paul, the office, the, this office of apostleship, it naturally died off. And that is why it is considered by most to be a temporary office. Now, the apostles were clearly an invaluable gift to the church. But here's the thing. They continue to make invaluable contributions to the church of 2023. Remember, we're all part of an invisible church that goes all the way back to Pentecost. And those words from the apostles that were written down have become the basis of our belief, the very truth of Scripture. So while they may have been temporary offices in a temporal sense, they're every bit permanent in their continued contributions to the invisible church. The second office that Paul lists is that of a prophet. It's also considered to be a temporary office. Now to see this, it's important that we understand how this word prophet was used back in Paul's time. True prophets 
didn't speak of their own accord. They spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A true prophet was always, always correct in his or her prophecy because it came directly from God. And much of it was eventually recorded as the truth of Scripture. But in the times of the early church, there was no New Testament. It was still being composed as the apostles wrote letters to the different churches. It would be another four plus centuries before the church actually recognized what we now call the New Testament. And then it'd be another 14 centuries before we had a printing press where we could distribute the New Testament widely. So prophets were extremely critical in spreading the word of God's truth as the Holy Spirit built up that early church. But not only did the prophets receive truth from the Holy Spirit, they also received the power necessary to convey it. They were gifted in their ability to express the truth that they'd received from the Holy Spirit in clear, concise, and lucid terms. They spoke the truth to unite people around the gospel message of Jesus. And that's why they often weren't welcomed. They carried a message that people didn't always want to hear. Prophets were also wanderers. They lacked homes, families, and support, moving around as nomads of sorts, speaking truth to whomever would listen. And of course, it's easy to see how the nature of prophecy lent itself to abuse. Because prophets lacked homes and support, they always had their hand out looking for help. So it's easy to envision how tempting it might have been for them to use their prophecy to extort provisions for themselves. There was even a book written in 100 AD at the end of the first century that gave guidance to the early church about prophets. It stated that if a prophet stayed at your place for more than two days or asked for food or any kind of money, they were essentially false prophets. And scripture warns of many false prophets. Unfortunately, they continue to abound in great numbers even to today. You can always tell who they are because what they speak is not in step with scripture. False prophets also claim to often have new truth from God. But the Bible teaches that God's word has already been spoken. There is no new revelation. John says so in the closing lines of Revelation chapter 22. The truth has been recorded. We're not to take anything away from it, and we're not to add anything to it. It is the truth as God has revealed it. So the prophets, they played their role, and they played it well. And just like the office of apostles, the prophets made invaluable contributions to the early church. And the invisible church is still drawing from the work that they did to this day. But with the Bible in wide print, their office is considered by most to be a temporary office. Now, some of you are thinking, but wait a second. Paul writes about this thing in other letters, and that's true. And he actually encourages all believers to prophesy in some of his other letters that he writes, which essentially means to speak the truth in step with Scripture. And we are all called to do that, especially with regard to building up, strengthening, and encouraging one another. But hopefully now you can see how there's a little bit of a difference there between what Paul writes to the church in Corinth about prophecy and our desire and his desire for all of us to speak the truth as compared to the office of a prophet. 
The third office that Paul lists is that of an evangelist. Now, there's a lot of debate over whether this is a temporary or a permanent office. Many theologians and commentators come on the side that it was essentially a temporary office. But there's also compelling arguments that the office may still be required occasionally from time to time. And when you look at the definition of what evangelist was, you can see why. They were called to essentially do the same work as an apostle with one really important difference. Evangelists did not see the risen Jesus or receive a commission in person from him as the apostles had. Examples of evangelists include Timothy, Titus, and Philip. And they're actually even called evangelists in Scripture. And make no mistake about it, the Holy Spirit worked powerfully through them. They were used to build up the church in many important ways. And Paul wrote specifically to them as we have letters to Timothy and Titus. We don't, however, see many miracles done through evangelists as we do with the apostles. Evangelists back in the day were also itinerant. They moved around to build up and sustain the church. So as the church became more stable and more permanent over time, they would have been less necessary, which is why many commentators and theologians argue that they were only a temporary office. And all those who argue that they're still needed, they point to missionary work and to church planting. And clearly both views are plausible, which is why characterizing them as temporary and occasional seems best. But to be clear, God is sovereign. He moves how and when he moves. He can employ any of these offices at any point in time. And so while these temporary offices may no longer be required in the visible church of 2023, they are every bit a part of the invisible church. You can see how they were absolutely vital in the early stages of establishing God's church. It will be such a thrill one day to get to meet all of them as fellow contributors to God's master plan to unite all things in Christ. And now we turn to the permanent offices, shepherd and teacher. Notice how Paul singles out each office with its own article. He writes, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. But in the last two, he groups them together. He says the shepherds and teachers, suggesting that they may be one office with two functions. Now, over the years, some churches have found it beneficial to break these up into different offices. And by the way, Paul writes about that here. It's probably okay to do either. Treat them as two offices or treat them as one office. Because there's clearly a trade-off, and I'm learning this as a new pastor. Teaching takes tremendous time. I typically spend about 20 hours to prepare a single 20-minute sermon. And that takes away time from shepherding or pastoring work. But if you don't shepherd and pastor, then you really can't teach very well because you don't know how to convey the material to the flock. So for a place like Four Mile Church, with 564 people who call Four Mile their home, and 239 of those actually covenant partners having taken the next step to actually join the church, with a church that size, it makes sense to probably combine them into one and then have an assistant pastor to fill in wherever gaps may show up to ensure that both functions are operating properly. So the four-mile elders over the years have built what seems to be an appropriate pastoral structure, at least the way Paul seems to be laying it out. So now, as you can probably imagine, 
Shepherding duties entail pastoring the flock. It's leading the flock in step with Scripture, helping them to negotiate around those pitfalls of life, caring for them in step with Scripture, which also includes warning and protecting them from evil and most often protecting them from themselves. Now, too often we think caring is just all about providing that soft shoulder, but it also sometimes entails rebuke, confrontation, and conveying uncomfortable truths. For example, telling people that living together out of wedlock is being disobedient to God. Now, that's a tough conversation to have with somebody. And that's not sitting in judgment on them because every single one of us is in process. That's why we say every week, it is okay to not be okay at Four Mile Church. However, we don't wanna stay in that not okay place. And that's why we love you enough to tell you the truth. And the truth is, that's blatant disobedience to God when we live that way. And that's not what we're called to do in any way, shape, or, or, any way, shape, or form. And I can assure you, those are not easy conversations to have, but they are absolutely necessary. It's how pastors care for the flock, sometimes with a hard truth, but always, always seasoned with grace. It involves encouraging and strengthening the flock when they become tired and weary, standing alongside them through their valleys and celebrating with them on the mountaintops. It also entails practicing the sacraments of baptism and communion as instituted by Jesus. And of course, teaching is all about the need to instruct the flock. Knowledge is the very first step in belief, and as Paul keeps teaching us, belief is what shapes our behavior and the totality of our lives. So teaching, such that people gain knowledge in step with the truth of Scripture, is absolutely vital. It's why we don't stand up here every Sunday and tell you jokes to try and entertain you or tell you stories about our lives, or comment on current events, or even tell our own version of truth. But rather, we earnestly seek to convey the knowledge of truth by devoutly teaching the scriptures. Scriptures that have been written from many unfamiliar languages thousands of years ago, and then figuring out how to make it relevant for today. That's what teachers are called to do. Teaching the doctrines of our faith, the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of mercy, the doctrine of salvation, and then teaching the flock how to apply these truths to our everyday, ordinary lives, such as we keep doing through these pillars. And of course, teaching the sacraments over and over again, because they're so vital to our relationship with Jesus. So how does this gifting of these leadership offices actually come into being? Well, certain members of the body of Christ are called by Jesus to specific functions within the church. And then they are also given the gifts by Jesus to perform those functions. And that's why those who are called to these offices, they do not call themselves. Jesus calls them. And so the church must be ever so careful with how it proceeds with regard to filling leadership roles. For example, Four Mile began taking steps more than five years ago to prepare for this recent pastoral transition. I understand they carefully reviewed and prayerfully scrutinized some 73 applications. And while the Four Mile elders 
were focused on discerning who it was that God was going to bring to their church, every one of those 73 applicants were also trying to discern whether or not God was calling them to the church. So this is not a typical job opening. This is not about beating out the other 72. This is about everybody trying to understand what is it that God is doing in this particular instance. For example, I had 16 people who comprised my own personal discernment committee, and every one of them knew me very well. Many of them were my spiritual mentors for most of my life. And when I started out, they knew I was particularly focused on being a chaplain at a university. It just made sense. I grew up in Grove City. Both of my parents were on the faculty there, and so it was just natural for me. I grew up in a college setting. I had the privilege of playing college basketball, the Army sent me to go get a PhD in economics and gave me the opportunity to teach economics at the college level for 18 years. Four of those years, I was brought up on an administration and actually served as a vice dean. So I was tailor-made, or so I thought, to be a, a university chaplain. I'd even worked quite extensively in university ministry, from fellowship of Christian athletes to doing Bible studies and Sunday school for college-age kids. I was even asked many times to actually preach and give messages during chapel services. So again, looked like that's where I should be, and I was pretty confident that was the direction when I was gonna retire from the military that God would call me. And I recall the very first time I met Martin, and he asked me, what's next for you? Are you interested in being a pastor? And so I shared all that with him. I told him all about what I was thinking and how I was certain God was leading me, and he just laughed. You know that jovial Martin laugh I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And he said, that's not how it works. God calls you, and then he equips you. And I remember pushing back on him. And I wasn't going to take that. I was going to, you know, fight back. I was pretty certain this is what I was going to do. But I'll tell you what, those words hit me hard. And I couldn't seem to shake it. And so I went back to my pastoral discernment committee, and I said, hey, what do you guys think about this whole pastoral ministry? And I was shocked. They all lit up. I said, we think it's a great idea. You should consider it. And at the time, I was going through ECO's ordination process. It's a rigorous year-long process, and I just wasn't ready to commit one way or the other. So I thought, let me just pray about this. And it was so, so many nights just praying, asking, seeking, knocking. What direction am I being called? Where, where are you leading me, Lord? So I kind of worked my way through ordination. It was probably another six months before I finally thought, all right, I think I'm, I'm going to apply to Formont. We'll see what happens here. And then it was months of engaging with a transition team and with the elders, multiple interviews, tons of evaluations. I mean, this church did their due diligence. It was over and over and over again, and it was so good. It was me pushing on them, them pushing on me. Many nights just spent asking, seeking, and knocking, meeting after meeting. And finally, when the elders came to observe me at a neutral pulpit, um, it became clear to both of us that this was God's plan for Four Mile, and it was his plan for me. And so I can attest to you, this call, it does not come from a church. It does not come from a person. It comes from Jesus himself. He is the one who puts those puzzle pieces together. And it's not about beating out other people. It's clearly a humbling process when you walk through it. But here's the thing, and this is the important takeaway of it all. It's not just for these offices. He calls every single one of us to our place here in the church. It's not about a place. It's not about a position. It's about the person 
to whom we serve. And so it doesn't matter where you're at in your life. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter where you live. Because those are all places God has deliberately placed you, and he's called you in that place to serve him. And so that calling we have, it is all about the one to whom we serve, the one to whom we're called. So that's my question for you this morning. What role is God calling you to? It may not be one of these leadership offices, but if you're part of the invisible church, you have been created for a very unique calling in your everyday, ordinary lives. So don't ever be flippant about it, because it comes from Jesus himself, and he's going to gift you with it. And that is why it is so important, because you're a gift to the church when you live out that role. It's why it's so important that we each ask, seek, and knock for the understanding of where God is calling us within the church. Let's pray. Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present Lord, thank you for the gift of leadership to your church, and thank you that you call each and every one of us to play our role in your master plan to unite all things in Christ as part of your church. Help us to respond to your voice and to your voice alone so that we can play our best for you. For Jesus' sake, amen. 